Good morning. How is everybody? Good. You guys are so far back. You guys, can everybody just scooch up? I'm joking. Um, I just have a couple things I want to do before we get started. Um, I have a few uh, announcements I'll get to, and I want to lead us just through a passage and just in passage and reflection and just our way of being able to do worship, as you guys know. Currently, right now, with our with our permit, uh, you know, as churches uh, is that through this permit, especially that we cannot sing. So we're going to do worship in a different way. Um, and maybe I'll start this reflection first, and then I have just maybe a few announcements and some sharings from some of the people who went with us down uh, to Rancho La Hermosa uh, yesterday. And so just about for our church to hear some of the experiences of uh, 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 that we had down there. So. If you have your Bible, um, or if you don't, you can just feel free to listen in, or you can Google this passage. John 14 is a great passage. John 14, starting in verse 27. And, you know, as, go, as we're going into this Advent season, and as we're going through this series, one of the things that it will be a dominant theme throughout the entire series, and then and ultimately at the conclusion is that Christ came to bring peace. And uh, the way he brought peace is in such a different way than sometimes we even think about. Um, and, but one of the things he did was he promised that he would bring peace and brings peace to each one of us individually. And so I think for, for many of us, I think the season that we've been trying to talk about in the series that Chad will get into is, you know, in the, even in troubled times, in difficult times, what does Christ look like in your life and what is the peace he brings you? And so if you have this open, John 14, I want to read it. And as I read it, 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 it's good sometimes just to, as we read scripture, and this is a form of worship of hearing it or reading it, and then just sitting with what is sticking out to you, what's standing out to you, what grabs your attention or grabs your heart, what encourages you, uh, what can you identify with, or maybe even what you needed to hear in the passage itself, reflecting on that uh, phrase, statement, or a theme that you're hearing for your life. And so I want to read this and I'm going to take a moment of just reflection and think it over for about a minute. And then um, we'll move into the next part of the service. But I love what Jesus says here. And, it, it, and when Jesus says this, he means it as a fact, not a just nice nicety that he's saying. In verse 27, he says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And peace, this peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back again. And if you really love me, you would be happy that I am going to the Father who is greater than I am. So I want to read it one more time, and then let's take a minute in reflection. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give uh, it is a gift the world cannot give. So do not be afraid or troubled. Remember what I told you, I'm going away, but I will come back again. And if you really love me, you would be happy that I am going 
to the Father, uh, who is greater than I am. So I want you to just take a minute and in that passage, what, what speaks to you? Maybe what, what is God trying to speak to you today through those words? So let's just take 30 seconds and just think about it, meditate on that for a minute. when I was reading the passage, I almost started, I promised Chad I wouldn't pre preach it all out of this. And so I'll just keep it right to this, uh, reading the passage. And, but I will share with me, one of the things that stands out to me is that it's a, it's a piece that the, the world cannot give. And in times of trouble, in, in times of uh, difficulty, don't be afraid, do not worry. This is that type of peace. And so that's what grabs me. It's a reminder for me today in anything that we experience or anything that we face. There's something bigger there. And what Jesus brought um, is a peace beyond measure. Um, and so, yeah, just take that passage, even take it with you this week. Reflect on it if you want to know the reference again. It's John 14, 27. Um, I, I wanted to share with you guys just a couple things going on. Um, just put this out as a, something you can put in your calendar. This is a very different Christmas season. And for Soundhouse, as you know, Christmas Eve services is like our thing, right? We have, it's very big on, we have this full band worship. Uh, it's a great experience. We do a candle lighting at the end. Now with the changes that have happened, um, we do want to let you know that uh, we are going to have a Christmas Eve service. We will be having it right here down at the park. Uh, we cannot have any live music, so that will change a little bit. But at the end of the day, you know, we know that, you know, being able to like sing Christmas songs, worship together is a big part of what we do. But we also know it's so important for us to gather and even coming down and hearing the message of hope on Christmas Eve being able to sit down here, doing a candlelight of which we will do. Um, we just think that will be an amazing thing for our church in this year, and especially closing out the year, uh, to be able to have that sense of, uh, I think, normalcy as a church still. So the community aspect is, you know, we want to encourage you guys on that Christmas Eve. We know there's plans, things are going on, but we're still going to keep it at 4 o'clock because we want to be able to like have our candlelight and it'll be service will end around 4:50 at sunset and so just put that on your calendar I know you probably have plans but try to try to, if you could make that work to be able to be down here for that service we think it'll be a really important service and so obviously the whole family coming and everybody is uh, invited feel free to bring someone to that service as well um, it might be just a good opportunity especially in the season um, this last thing I want to talk about is, yeah, we have, we have a discussion guide, Chad, we'll get into in a, a little bit, but that every single week we have a little discussion guide that is downloadable. You can feel free to have a family member over or a neighbor over and just lead through that study. It's a really good study that goes along with what we're doing here at service, and so I want to encourage you to do that. I want to take a second just to uh, talk about our trip we just did last week. I want to thank everybody who got a present and put it together for each one of these kids. Uh, we watched them all open these gifts that you guys got for them, and it was a, 
an amazing experience for us. And it was really cool to see just what is going on down there, just the care, the love uh, that is happening down at this orphanage in Mexico we went to. Uh, and we, we want to encourage you guys, as future trips come up, we want to try to be down there every month. Uh, if it's either building something or, or, or working with the kids or running any kind of program or just spending time um, just being around those kids, uh, please think about that. It, it, for me, it was a very touching experience, but I don't need to share mine. But I wanted to invite a few people who are on the trip. If you could come up and just share just kind of a, one experience or something that kind of stood out to you when we were down there. So if you were on the trip, who was on the trip? Oh, yeah. So any of you who raise your hand, if you want to feel free to come up here, just share just one little bit. I know this is maybe a little uncomfortable, but I can call you up. Rob, don't make me do it. Oh, yeah. So it was a really good trip, and um, the need is really great. And all the gifts that the church, to me, like one of the greatest things was we put the request out to the church and every request was filled. And then seeing these kids that really don't have much, we went in their dorms and saw their little cubbies where their possessions were. They, they don't have much, but the place is clean and the kids are really cared for well. And so by bringing shoes and toys and books it meant so much to them, and they're really, really appreciative. And um, it was really touching to see these kids. And so the need's great. We just need to keep reaching out. And the church was fantastic on everyone stepping up and filling that. So it was really good. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Denise Knutson, and we're, um, Ken, my fiance, and are relatively new members to the church, and uh, it was a really great opportunity for us. Um, while the guys were doing their uh, building, we uh, were in charge of the gifts, which was great, and uh, doing activities with the kids, and, and I'll tell you, you'll never find a, a more appreciative group of children. They were just so genuine, and and uh, after speaking with the founder, one of the things that um, they found about these children is they're, they're just really bright and they've been, and gifted in so many ways. And, and I think there's a lot of promise there for them. And one of the things in Mexico is that children in that situation never have the opportunity to go to university. They never really get much of an education. And they've moved their education due to COVID. Actually, they've built... Uh, classrooms on campus and uh, we'll be continuing to educate them there so we're really looking forward to supporting that effort so if you can get involved that would be really that'd be really great yeah I'm, I'm, I'm Ken hey, hey those gifts that everybody provided were just that was their Christmas you know the other day when we were there uh, they opened the gifts and I, I learned later that uh, come the 25th that was that was their Christmas um, as far as the drive down, it was uh, it was beautiful. The orphanage itself is set back about a mile and a half, about a mile off off the coast, with a be beautiful view of the ocean. It's secluded. Uh, people are nice, friendly. It was uh, just a great experience. People were were incredible. The kids were incredible. It was just uh, it was just nice down there serving. Okay, welcome up, Chad. So. 
check. Hello. Can you hear me? We on there? Yeah, the trip was so good. Thank you, ever, everyone who, who came and was a part of that. Um, such a good experience. I feel like I'm in a cave here. I'm going to scoot up a little bit. Um, it was such, such a good experience. And, you know, two, two things that just um, I thought reflected so well on the church and, and the experience. One was um, I saw someone who included in their gift this, like, they made a little sign, a little, like, like nameplate with, with the kid's name on it. And as, um, as, as my dad shared, you know, they, they, they all have their little bunks with little cubbies. And just, you know, this little girl's going to have that uh, over her bed now, you know. Um, so it wasn't just yes, check the box. Here's the here's the gift. It was so much so much care, um, and they were so excited. I mean, someone gave a Elsa uh, like Frozen dress. It was on instantly over their clothes, and she was wearing that the entire day. Uh, but I kind of feel like that dress could have gone to any kid there, and they would have been so excited. Uh, I, I saw you know one kid was opening an RC car, and was just like panicked, like frantic, trying to get it out. It had like all like the zip ties on it and all that. So I go and I'm trying to help it and his, his, his like hands are like trying to get in there because he's like worried I'm going to break it or I'm not getting it out fast enough. I mean, they're just, just so excited. We had, we had some crafts lined up that we we're going to do right after gifts. And then we stood back and realized like, they're good. Like they're all excited. They're so pumped just, just to play um, and just to be a part of that. And I, I was sharing with some people down there, you know, um, I think even beyond the gifts, I think what was so unique and special of an experience for those kids is they got something with their name on it. Um, you know, look, they all had clothes on, you know, so the, the orphanage provided that. Um, but that's so different than someone thought of you and put this together and this is yours. You know, this is, doesn't belong to the orphanage and you're borrowing it and it's used when it, like this, this is for you. It was such, such an incredible experience. I, I was telling the founder uh, his name is Dave. When I was talking to him on the phone earlier the week, I, I said, "I've been looking at these gifts, and they're they're really great. Um, like like our our church really went far on these. And as they were opening them, he came over. He's like, you're, 'You're right. I mean, just the amount of care and the quality of these gifts were were so special. So it was really cool. Thank you so much, everyone, um, who was a part of that. And and yeah, we're we're looking to go, um, you know, semi frequently. Is that for the uh, workout group? Yep. Okay." <laughs> Um, got a little background music today. Uh, but we're looking to go semi-frequently and, and just really build a relationship there where we are meeting their needs. Uh, they were having church groups come down once a month pre-coronavirus, and they have not had a single group come since early March. Um, so they were, the kids were so excited, and, and there was definitely a lot of need there. Um, so, yeah, let us know if you're interested in that, and we'll be putting out sign-ups next time we're doing a group like that. Let me pray, and then we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and everything you've given us. Uh, Lord, it, it is such a humbling and exciting process to get to be a part of seeing your global church, seeing your church outside of our context, seeing it in another country, seeing it at different levels of need. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for what that experience was, and, and we thank you for the opportunity that we got to be a part of that. God, today, as we continue to look at the Advent story, I pray that you allow us to see it not with rose-colored glasses or with tinsel, but, but see it as it was, and that can speak to our time today. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we're in this little series that we're calling Difficult Christmas, which doesn't sound very warm and fun and, and Christmassy, uh, but it was acknowledging that this year, Christmas is a little more difficult, right? We said no music this, this upcoming Christmas Eve service. Um, we won't be seeing faces this Christmas Eve service. We won't all be shoulder to shoulder with candles and, and the Christmas cookies out in the court. Like, that just won't, that won't be what we're doing. 
This year will just be a little different, a little difficult. You might have a family that you always get together with, and, and it's just not going to happen this year. It's just going to be a little more difficult. And, and I know for some families, um, there might be family members who won't be a part of it just because this year um, you know, they, they are not around anymore because of coronavirus. It's, it's tragic, and it's, it's terrible, and it's difficult. And this year has been a little more difficult, and this Christmas might be more difficult. And it was interesting because as we were talking about that right now in the office, we were looking and saying, well, in that way, this is actually the best story because this story is actually a very difficult Christmas. I brought here um, a nativity scene, right? We've got... Uh, I think it used to have a little more hay on it. I think I probably peeled that off when I was a kid. But we've got uh, our, our little, a little nativity scene, and we've got our wise men, the magi. We've got shepherds. You know, and, and everyone, we, we all know this story. We all know this this scene. Oh, we've got some animals too. What's the? I think I think they're on the wrong side here. There we go. So we've got some animals. Of course, we've got. Mary and, and poor Joseph, who just went for a fall, and uh, and then we've got baby Jesus in the middle, and uh, this is probably a familiar scene, you know, that we all know, and, and maybe many of us have this in our home somewhere, but where is this in your home? It's, maybe it's on, it's on a mantle, right? It's, uh, it's by the fireplace in the warm home um, next to the Christmas tree with, dressed beautifully in the presents, and um, and that's where it should be. I'm not telling you to go put it out, you know, in, in the yard or in the garage. But my point is, is, is look at uh, the way that we celebrate this. And that's good. Like, we all want a, you know, a warm, fun Christmas. Um, but I think it's funny. More than any other story in the Bible, this story has, has, has uh, so much tinsel already put on it when we read it. I mean, we're reading it with such rose-colored glasses that, that we see it as this cute story. Um, but there was so much difficulty surrounding the story. Ryan talked about that last week, right? He looked at the, the social element, the family element. He looked at the fact that Mary and Joseph are in their hometown and no one's taking them in. Like, that, that is hard. The stable mentality sounds cute, but mothers out here, how many of you would have liked to have given birth in a, in a horse stable, you know, in a, in a dirty stable? And... <laughs> Um, cold, dirty, smelly. That's a difficult Christmas. And this is a, such a special time and such a, um, a fun time. Um, I love Christmas more than any other season. I love presents. I just, I'm going to say it. I don't know if it's not mature or whatever, but I just, I, I love them. Uh, I love the lights. I, I, I enjoy the season. Don't get me wrong. But when we look from a biblical standpoint at the story, we, we have to see it for what it was. It was a difficult Christmas. And this week, we're taking just a real quick look at a different angle of how this story was difficult. Ryan talked about the social and relational and family side last, last week. This week, we're going to talk about a little bit more of the, the geopolitical pressures and hostilities that were going on. If you're familiar at all with, with the Gospels, you understand uh, the threat that Rome was that leaned over them. Um, the, the Hebrew people had finally freed themselves from their last major empire of Greece. Um, we we're actually still in Hanukkah, I believe. It's the last couple of days of Hanukkah, which is, is celebrating um, the liberation from Greece when they fought for their freedom um, and, 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 and you know, won their independence from Greece. Well, not very long later, Rome comes along. 
And Rome is, 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 this, is much bigger, much more powerful, much way more organized. And they are moving. They are conquering. And, and actually, at the same time, there's a newer nation of Syria that's moving in, and, and they're looking even more hostile. And so Israel takes a gamble, and they approach Rome and say, and say hey, let's form a treaty. Uh, let's form a pact. And that's a strong word, uh, really, with, the, with their size uh, disparity. It was more of, let's negotiate an early surrender of what this would look like. And uh, they get some benefits, you know, of any Roman, um, you know, conquested, uh, occupied land, they're the only ones who actually get to keep their religion. Uh, most had, were forced to adopt the, the, the Roman cult uh, of worshiping the Roman gods and worshiping the emperor. Uh, Jews did not have to, not, not until later when they rebelled. Um, so it's interesting, they, they, you know, kind of seemed like a good deal, and Rome came and took care of Syria, got, got, got them out. So it's kind of seemed a good deal. But what happens over time is, is the relationship's not going well. And every time the relationship's not going well between these two, uh, you know, these two nations in an agreement, uh, Rome takes a little bit more control, a little bit more control, a little bit more control. And so even in the Gospels, when we see this whole dynamic of, of Jesus going to the Jewish court and then to the Roman court and all that, it's because there's kind of two governments on top of each other, but pretty soon Rome begins to kind of sweep in. Later, after Jesus, uh, after Jesus dies in, in, in um, 67, the Jews actually finally revolt, kick Rome out, but in 70, Rome comes back down reconquers, and this time they're like any other nation, and actually destroy the temple. So that ends up becoming what happens later. But they're always under this, this pressure uh, of this, this larger nation, this more powerful nation, um, the, the taxes and the rules that, that impose that, as they're watching their nation slowly lose control to this empire. And that's the, that's the government that they're under. Underneath that, we see some local leaders, some local, you know, kings. Uh, Caesar called himself the king of kings. Jesus takes that title for himself, too. Jesus, Caesar called himself that. So underneath him, there were these other kings, these more localized rulers. And, and we have one at Jesus' birth. Uh, what, what is his name? A little feedback here. Herod. Herod the Great. Now, at Jesus' uh, crucifixion and his trials, there's another Herod. That is Herod Antipas, who is Herod the Great's son. Now, Herod the Great was a character. Uh, of the worst kinds, um, insane. He he was he was insane. He he was um, egotistical. He was paranoid. Um, he assassinates three of his own sons when he thinks that they are going to take the throne from him. I mean, this is the kind of you know local ruler over Judea that Jesus is born into. Um, he uh, views this one other family as his threat. And so he goes in there, and, and he, you know, um, assassinates their entire extended family, except for one woman who he thinks is really beautiful, and so he spares her, and he, you know, marries her. Um, she refuses to marry him by taking her own life, and he still thought she was so beautiful. He preserves her in honey for seven years. Everything about this guy is just, like, so epic, so in, intense, and so terrible. I mean, um, he would just drop right into a Game of Thrones episode just, just like that. I mean, easily, you know. One of my favorite stories is he's at this banquet. He was a harsh, harsh ruler. Um, only thing he did well was infrastructure. He got, like, got infrastructure, the whole area, water and all that. But besides that, was not well liked. And there's this one story that shows it so well. So he's at this banquet. There's about 3,000 people in this room. And uh, he is, is eating, and he, he begins to choke and falls out of his chair. Everyone in the room erupts into applause. They think that Herod just, just died. He coughs up the bone and, and stands back up, and the room gets silent. And, and he, he closes the room and, and has his guards take a census of everyone in the room. 
And what he does is has this census, you know, um, written into law that at his own death, these 3,000 people would be brought back in and would be executed in that same room and to ensure that on his death, someone was mourning. This is the, the caliber of leader, uh, of governor, that Jesus is born into. On top of that, we have the temple. Uh, when that whole Maccabean revolution happened, the story of Hanukkah, uh, it became a bit of a family-run business at that time, and that family was working with Rome, and Rome was paying them to make sure that the temple never taught anything that would be counter to Rome. So that was corrupt. And we see Jesus, Jesus fighting this, right? When he goes in and overturns the tables, and all, he is fighting uh, the corruption that has, has become uh, out of this place that was meant to be the Lord's house of worship. I'm just painting the scene. I want you to see all of this, of the world he was born into. Let's read, for instance, when it comes to Herod, his response, his view of this. You know, in Matthew 2, 3, when the Magi come and they tell him about the prophecy, who they're looking for, so when Herod, heard the king, sorry, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. If you want to follow along, let me read this next part. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 18, once again, imagine you, you gave birth in a barn, your family's rejected you, you're outcasts, and, uh, and then imagine this is what happens. And after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. By the way, when Herod did die, that order was defied. No one carried that out. I forgot to mention that. No one's going to honor that when he's gone. It didn't get honored. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by, all the, by the wise men, he was infuriated and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or younger in his attempt to to get Jesus. According to that time, uh, according to the time he had learned from the wise men, then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because she, they were no more. This is our, you know, I was thinking of the song Silent Night. This was the world that he was born into. And so I just I think that's so fitting. While none of us would say any of our difficulties we face right now are on par of the world he was born into, I think it's so fitting that we remember this because I think we can deal with our own disappointment of oh every year at Christmas all the cousins come together and you know we we walk Naples all thirty of us shoulder and shoulder and all this and and it's not the same we can we can we can start to be overcome by the disappointment and I think it's important to keep in perspective the amount of disappointment that was around the original Christmas story that we're celebrating to begin with. I don't want our, our Christmas Eve dinners uh, to be gloom. I mean, it is about, you know, being together, and it is about uh, getting to celebrate what happened. But I think it's important for, for tailoring our, our disappointment that we might face of our own difficulties. As we keep in mind the setting that happened, this was anything but a silent night. Mothers, we talked about it, giving birth in a barn, but then what about shortly after finding out that you need to travel a long distance as political refugees 
You know, you, you, you want the nursery set up. You want to, uh, to, to nest. Uh, and no, now's the time you're going to be traveling a really, really long distance. Not to mention, every time I'm changing my daughter's diaper, I'm thinking, what did they do before diapers? I don't know. But imagine doing that on a road to Egypt. This was the not-so-silent night that they were a part of. And so what I want to ask today is, what does it mean that Jesus came in the midst of that hostility? Why, why, why then? Why then? Why now? Why not the time of Solomon? Why not under a good king, King Josiah, one of the last good kings of, of Judah? Maybe he would have recognized who Jesus was, given him the seat, and it would have been this glorious empire. Why of all times did he come now? Is what I want to look at. Is what I want to question. Because if Jesus' birth can bring peace and hope in that situation, how much more can it bring peace and hope into whatever difficulty you are facing? Because I'm going to guess it's not this bad. I'm going to guess there wasn't, you know, that Newsom wasn't running you out of the state trying to assassinate you. I mean, this, this, that's the world that he was born into. That was the, the, the governor of the time was so threatened by him that he was trying to kill him. This is the world. Now, there's a small answer. Um, it just, just side note, there is a small answer that I, that I could say as far as the timing is the world was primed for, for a global empire uh, of gods. Um, I find this fascinating. Why didn't Jesus come earlier? Um, as I mentioned, the past empire they were under was the Greeks, and we all know the name Alexander the Great, right? Conquered 11 time zones on horseback. Imagine doing that, 11 time zones. But one of the incredible things he did is he created a written universal language it's called Koine Greek. That every you know, nation, he was into India, that far away from Greece. And that every nation obviously still continued to speak their own language, but any official documents had to be written in Greek. So if you were in India, you'd be speaking Indian? Uh, no. Hindu. Not English. <laughs> I went there, I can't remember. You'd be, you'd be speaking your own natural language, but let's say you want to buy a piece of land you would go find the scribe in town who knew how to write in Greek, and he would write the contract, and that would then make it official. Now, the Romans saw this as so beneficial that even after they got Greece out of the way, they said, let's keep it. They themselves even spoke Latin, but they kept Greek, Koine Greek, as this universal official language. Now, here's why it's so important. Paul, writing his letters that fill our New Testament, he only had to write it in one language. He, he would be speaking Hebrew to his friends as well, but he writes it in Greek, and every church in the entire Roman Empire can read it. Someone in the town can. How, how incredible is that? Uh, just just that, that primed ability for, for expansion. Even the security that, that, that Rome offered of being able to travel, we see that in Paul's letters as well. So there, there is a lot of this, you know, the, the, the stretch uh, of, of, of the Roman Empire. It becomes a Christian nation under Constantine almost at its height when it was in, in the U.K., and all of Spain and into Africa, when it's at its height, it became a Christian nation and, and pushed that ever. So small answer is, it was primed for a global expansion in God's name. But for me, that's not enough. That doesn't answer the question, the small question of why would you come at such a hostile time? Why, why not come after Mary and Joseph were married and would not have to deal with that family you know, shame that they had to deal with? Why come in the midst of so much hostility. I sat with that all week and trying to figure that out. Why come in the midst of that? I wrote this down. I said, what does it mean that the prophesied Messiah arrives at such a hostile time and even becomes subject to such a hostile death? What does hope and peace look like 
in a time like that? And the more I thought about it, the answer was, was simple but profound, if, if we reflect on it. And it's that his arrival on the scene changes everything, if we're looking at it in the right perspective. First of all is this. Christ, God in the flesh, offers us hope that there is more than today. As you look at your situation, as you look at your life, the fact that God enters the scene and the teachings of Christ, of if, I, if I go to prepare a place for you, okay, that, that begins to say, well, there is hope beyond what I can see. There is hope beyond the life I live here on this earth. That, that begins to give you a, a, a everlasting hope and peace. Now, that might sound like a you know, Sunday school answer, but, but if you allow that to actually settle inside of you, that can give you a different perspective in life. Paul, the Apostle Paul, worked himself, you know, to the bone because he believed it was for something next. He believed it was for something greater. We have that same hope. And then the second is this, is that Jesus arriving on the scene offers us peace as we know that God chose to place himself in the midst of human hostility and difficulty. Could have been a different time. God chose this time. He is more familiar with the difficulties of life. And he offers us an example of how to combat evil with love, compassion, and self-sacrifice. It offers us peace. We did this illustration a long time ago with Rick Piercy and Jesse Smith. I brought up this ice chest with filled with ice water, and, and we asked uh, you know, Rick to put his foot in there and, uh, and Jesse Smith to put his foot in there. And then, uh, no, Ryan, Ryan, you were preaching that. And, and then Ryan taught for like five minutes with both their feet in this ice bucket, you know. And uh, we, what we talked about was what was Jesse's only comfort in that situation. And it was that he knew Rick was there with him. What is our only comfort as we face difficulties? As we say, God jumped into the middle of this. He got his feet wet. He, he entered into such a hostile time. And you see his care and his love and his compassion for the people. And you can know that he empathizes. You can know that he is with you in your struggle. Um, there's a, a story of someone who experiences peace in the middle of this. It's a man named Simeon. I want to read this, this story for you. It's the last passage I'll read. It's in Luke chapter 2. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this scene is, is, uh, is eight days after his birth when they're taking uh, Jesus uh, to be circumcised in the temple. There's a man uh, in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. He had hope. Looking at everything going around him, he was looking forward to the time when God would make things right. Maybe you look at your world, whatever that is, geopolitical hostility, pandemics, and you look forward to the time when God will make things right. He was looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Remember, for millennia now, they have had prophecies, always coming through their hard situations, through Exodus, through Egypt and slavery, when they got taken to Babylon in exile. That was when they received the most vivid uh, prophecies uh, that God was sending someone that God was sending the Messiah, that he would be there in the flesh to be with them and to guide them. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, 
Now you are dismissing your servant in peace. He had received this word from the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Messiah, until he saw God's plan of hope for the world. He says, Master, saying this to this baby, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to, to your people, Israel. That's the most vivid description of this, prophet, of this Messiah's role. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, to expand it outside uh, the Israelites to the entire world, to us today, and for glory to your people, Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what were being said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary in Israel, I'm oh, sorry, Mother Mary, this child is destined uh, for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many may be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Notice he didn't say, great, we're all good. You know? Yeah, I heard about the whole stable thing, but the baby's here, we're all done. There's still problems. There's still difficulties. Jesus' uh, abuse and hostility he faces from the temple is evident of the corruption there. His execution by the Romans is evident of the evil that is still very present. And so we still, once again, have to ask ourselves, how is it that he brings peace and hope, even though these hostilities are not removed? That's what we have to sit with. Because once again, I, I believe that God in the flesh here is showing me that he is bigger than all of that, that he has a timeline and a scope that I can't see, and that him in the midst of this makes me say, it doesn't always make sense, but I know that God is with us. You know, uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced this idea of, uh, of, of, you know, if you can be at peace because you know something you care about is in the, is in the hands of competency, you know? I remember a long time ago, um, over in that building over there when we were doing church, uh, you know, I had set up a lot of like our different AV stuff, our lights and sound or whatever, kind of like figured out the systems. And it was a long time ago, we had a um, not as capable of an AV team as we got today, Bo, in our front row there. Um, but I remember I went on a, a trip with my family, uh, or, or my wife's family, went to Switzerland. And about 10 minutes before service is starting, which is like, I don't know, midnight in Switzerland, I'm in the Alps, and I'm FaceTiming with the team, trying to explain to them how to connect the lights, you know what I mean? And, and just so stressed of trying to, trying to get this all together because I care about this church, I care about this service, and uh, I, I was not able to trust it. Meanwhile, uh, if, I, if I think about our last team, Bo and Garrett, our audio engineers, uh, right before you know, the pandemic started, I realized that they cared about the sound way more than I did. And I would have a service that I thought sounded great, and, and, and Garrett and Bo would be so stressed of, oh, the feedback in the corner, whatever, and I'm just like, I, I didn't even hear it. And so I realized I can give it to you guys. You guys care about this more than I do. Uh, you know, I think of uh, even childcare. I have babysat a few times, but you know my level of competency because I'm getting phone calls every half hour, like, hey, just, just checking in. Everything's still okay there? You know, like you can show their level of confidence in my childcare abilities. Meanwhile, with, uh, you know, with my mom and my mother-in-law, they come over and I hand them Zoe saying, she's got a full diaper, she didn't take her nap, she's got a rash, I'll be unreachable for six hours, you got it, got to go, you know? 
because I have such confidence in their competency. I, I, I can experience peace because I know they are, are present. I know they've got it. That's the kind of peace I think we can experience when we look at this situation, is we know that God is with us. And so we have faith and we trust that he, just like Simeon said, is going to bring the consolation of this world. We say, it doesn't always look right. We will go through difficulties. But what this story says is that God is with us. Right? As Jesus walks in to Jerusalem in the final week, they all shout, shout Hosanna, which means God is with us. That's what we're shouting, even in the midst of difficulties we face this Christmas, is that we are acknowledging that God is with us, and we find peace in that. Let me pray. We're going to wrap up. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and all that you've given us. Lord, in the midst of the difficulties we face, I hope that we find consolation and peace when we reflect on the fact that you are all too familiar with the hostility of this world, with the difficulties of this world. Your birth was in the midst of incredible difficulties, social, family, geopolitical, and physical threats. And yet your presence reminds us one simple truth, that God is with us. And that is enough to bring peace. Lord, I pray that in the midst of our difficulties, health issues, family issues, financial issues, loss of job, whatever might be facing uh, these families here today, these people here today, Lord, I pray that the simple yet profound truth that you are present, you are active and present in our lives, brings us a peace, as your scriptures say, surpasses all understanding. Be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, feel free to, to hang out. Um, as distant and safely as possible. And uh, it's so good to see y'all. We'll see you next week. And then we've got Christmas Eve on that Wednesday. Uh, did you say 4 p.m.? We'll be here at 4 p.m. Sounds good. Thank you.